For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Use the code word REBEL for a discount on pillows, sheets, pet beds, and everything else at MyPillow.com. Woo! Rebels, it's that time! Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. What's happening, Rebels? Hope you're having a great week. We've got a good pod for you today. We've got Milan and Kathy Yurkovich on the podcast talking about marriage and the different ways that we love and the ways that we can come closer together. It's a fantastic podcast. You're going to love it. Let's just dive into it. No more wasting time. Here is Milan and Kathy Yurkovich on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Oh, good morning, Rebels. Good so morning, glad everybody. you could join us. We've got... Mylan and Kay Yurkovich on the program today. HowWeLove.com is their website. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. We are really happy to be with oh, you guys. Thank you for asking. Yeah, mm, definitely. Thank you. thank you for being inviting us. Oh, for oh, sure. Awesome. De- you know, I hate to say it this way. We get books every day in the studio. I mean, we get sent every book that's published. They come in here and lots of them aren't good. Uh, yeah. There's no other nice way to say it. There's a lot of them really aren't very good. Your book is really great, and it's really helping a ton of people figure out. You know, in a way, it's kind of like the five love languages because you're learning the love style of your spouse and yourself, and that's allowing us to communicate and love our spouses and our kids so much better. Mm-hmm. So we just appreciate that this resource so much. Yeah, great. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Um, Sooner or later in this time together, I would explain the difference between the two because there's a substantial difference, and I could do that right now if you'd yeah. like. Yeah, go absolutely. For it. Dive in. That'd be great. Well, when Dr. Chapman, in all respect to Dr. Chapman, developed the love languages, he opened up all his charts and looked at what the requirements, desires, and expectations were of his clients, and then categorize them and determine these must be a longing or a desire inside of a person and therefore it is a love language to them. And then that's how love languages were developed by Dr. Chapman per his testimony. What this is about, our book is about seven years of attachment research where Mm. the early attachment experience of a child with a caregiver leaves a lasting imprint upon the person that carries with them into adulthood that cause reactivity uh, within the person that causes them to be in a reactive place and struggle in relationship. And so there is a difference, therefore, between the two. This is more of an injury that you want to understand and Mm -hmm. define and diagnose and Grow out of? Exactly. Mm. Grow out of is the key. Versus this is what I like and you should give me more of it. Sure, <laughs> sure. So how do you discover what the injury might be or the early attachment that you have? Well, there's a couple ways. I mean, people do find their um, what their love style is by reading the book. And so we go through each of the love styles. There's the avoider, the pleaser, the vacillator the controller and the victim. And these are all in contrast to the secure connector, which would be the goal for all of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's some, you know, defined traits of the secure connector and each of these are injuries somehow in a home growing up, uh, you know, a child learned to defend themselves by adopting a certain style. And these Mm -hmm. are actually very observable and predictable in attachment research. 
Wow. Wow, Another way you can look at it, Kay, is it's an injury, but it's also, in many cases, a lack of development of a full maturation process. And so we're stunted or we are not developed fully. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's another way to look at it. Yeah, that's a good way. Well, I love that because then you can grow into (laughs) the secure attachment. That's exactly right, Laura. That's precisely right. Yeah, and the second way is we have a test on our love site, a quiz on howwelove.com and or, did I say love site? I mean website. <laughs> I, I like love site. And that will help you, you know, but we always say take the test and then read the styles and see if you think it fits or not. Mm. Definitely. I definitely want to do that. That's an interesting one for me. I was adopted and adoption's beautiful. It's fantastic. It's also not supposed to be that way. And Laura and I have learned through therapy, I hear rejection and abandonment louder than I think a lot of people do because I was in a womb for nine months and then taken away and put into foster care and then taken from foster care a short time later and put into a family, a great family. And there was a lot of trauma early on. And so I naturally hear abandonment and rejection. And I've had to overcome that for a, a while. Mm-hmm. That's a great point, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Mm. You didn't choose that; yeah. it isn't a preference. Mm. You know, you experience some trauma and injury that impacts how you relate to other people, and sometimes that's very invisible until someone says, "Well, here's these five styles." We're so used to it, and we respond that way so automatically that we don't even see it as a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another thing that happens here is you stated it so eloquently. Laura and I realized, you mm-hmm. see, it's in relationship yeah. that these things become exposed and relationships are the ultimate exposure. Mm. Because if Laura averts her gaze or doesn't, you know, greet you the same way she greets somebody else, you're going to feel that. And I love how you expressed it. The volume is louder, you know, you yeah. just feel it bigger. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it is something. And Laura, this comes back to your first point. How do people discover these things? Yeah, it's within the pain that relationship creates of why isn't this working well? Why are we struggling? Mm. Why are you a pursuer and the other person's an avoider? You know, mm. and that creates a chasing and pain is mm. what causes us to often seek help. Yeah, usually pain's a huge motivator. Definitely. Definitely in marriage. Yeah, it is. You guys have counseled and you've worked with so many people. That's an interesting one. Why does it take people so long to enter into counseling if they do at all. I mean, the counselors I talk to, most of them struggle with the fact that by the time most couples go to marriage counseling, it's kind of too late. It's over. You know, we Mm. encourage therapy and counseling all the time on Rebel Parenting. It's been so impactful in our lives. It's been so helpful. We want to take the stigma away from it. Why do you think it takes people so long to seek help? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. I think when you first marry, a lot of people have kids, you know, within the first five years, and Mm. then you're very busy trying to just survive the day, Yeah. and you're not paying a lot of attention to your marriage, but Mm. it's in, you know, sometimes even in the dating, but definitely in the first five years of your marriage that you'll start to see a core pattern, and these are two histories colliding, two attachment styles colliding, Mm. and that core Mm. pattern always blocks intimacy, and it makes 
for a reactive core pattern that just repeats over and over no matter what you do and how hard you try to break it because you don't know the origin of it. Right, mm. right. Talk about those core patterns. Yeah. That's a great point. That's huge. Like you have to understand attachment styles before you understand the core patterns okay. because the core patterns actually are a result of two attachment styles colliding in marriage. And they're surprisingly predictable and they're surprisingly easy to spot once you know what you're looking for. So that's kind of like the fight that you've had, say, we've been married 14 years. It's the fight you've always had since the very beginning? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I love it. And so eventually... We don't know what that's to, about at all. I uh, know. See? Every couple can describe it. They just don't understand, well, what's driving it and what's at the root of it? Exactly. Yeah. So they're always yeah. trying to change it from the symptom, you know, well, let's not do this as much or you don't do that, but they don't understand there's an injury under that behavior. The other answer to that question, Ryan, is is that many people, because we, as fallen human beings, Christians in a fallen world, even though we're redeemed, we often have a hard time looking at ourselves. And some of these attachment styles have poor self-reflection skills. And so when a couple is in a repetitive core pattern, often, when people come into our offices, they'll say, well, it's, I came in to fix them, you know, and then oh, they yeah. point to the spouse. Yeah. And they don't see themselves as culpable or participating. Mm-hmm. And that's why we love what we do, because we can say, no, you know, what's happening is the core pattern is beating you up. And you have two choices. You can either allow that to continue to happen the rest of your life, mm. or you can choose to learn it and then begin to manage it. Sure. And, and grow out of it. And grow out of it, <laughs> and, which is what we did. But you wanted to talk about the most common presentations of sure. core paths? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should role play them. Would you like that? Yeah, let's do Perfect. it. Perfect. Okay, here we go. Hey, honey, I'm home. Where, Hi. Where, hey. I've been looking for a digging hole. I, I have a surprise for you. You know what? I just need to see the mail. Where is the mail? Because Just where it always is, honey, every day. But sometimes, sometimes you move it, and I oh, can tell. I don't move it. Well, even sometimes you throw things away. Hey, I have a surprise. I know, you but can look at the mail No, no. I need to. It's because time sensitive. It's from the mortgage company, and I have to sign it, and we have me? to sign it. We it's have always to, time sensitive. I, we have to get it in by 5 uh, o'clock every day. today. Every day. Day, you come in and you go, oh, hello, mail. Hi, mail. I'm home, mail. I'm so happy to see you, mail. Oh, let me look at you, mail. <laughs> hello, I'm your wife. Can you look at me? <clears throat> I, I was surprised. Why do I even get you a surprise? You Seriously. I don't even know why I think you're going to be excited about something I do for you. You know what? You can eat dinner alone tonight. I'm done. Did you get the mail out of the mailbox I'm today? done. I'm done. Goodbye. <laughs> That's the most common. Yep. And that would be the avoider who is emotionally detached, task-oriented. Mylon mm. played the avoider. Mm-hmm. Always thinking about the list, what needs to be done. Mm. And the vacillator who is all about pursuing connection and does have abandonment themes. And each of these handle stress very differently. The avoider detaches when they're stressed. They kind of push away and go away. And the vacillator pursues and gets upset and angry. Sure, sure. We've heard that as hypo where you go down. You know, the stress happens and all of a sudden it's just I go numb, I detach, I stop talking. And then hyper is it just keeps ramping up more and more and more and more. And usually those trigger each other. So the higher the hyper gets, the lower the hypo gets. Mm. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. So. 
That's one example. And avoiders <laughs> often come from homes where there's just not a lot of emotional connection. Mm. And they don't have memories of comfort. They come from families where it's sort of grow up and you're kind of on your own and there's no personal discussion about anything. So mm. they don't have enough connection growing up to really value it or understand that it can bring relief and help. They mm. just don't turn to people for help because they learn not to as kids. Sure. Right. Yes. The vacillator often grows up in a home where there's some connection. It's just more inconsistent or there's like even, I don't know if you're a vacillator or not, but the, the underlying theme, there's intermittent rejection mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. the child mm-hmm. feels like I'm connected one moment. I feel rejected the next and I can't figure out how to really make it happen on a consistent basis, the connection. And so for the vacillator, their style is to protest when they feel abandonment or rejection. And they're always trying to get the other person to come towards them, mm-hmm. which, of course, the avoider doesn't even understand what that is. So yeah. you can yeah. see there's a nasty core pattern. Well, there. and their anger drives the other person away. Yeah. And their protest drives you and scares them. So then that mm. then reduces the willingness to want to engage. The oh. vacillator <laughs> is called the, in the attachment literature, they're called preoccupied and ambivalent. That's our word is the word vacillator because the editors asked us to do that. But they're preoccupied about relationship as to whether people are close. What did those words mean? What did those body gestures mean? Why yeah. did they hug this person and not hug me? Yeah. And they're very sensitive and they review and rehearse these things a lot in their head. Secondly, the avoider vacillator is the number one research says it's a number one couple to come into counseling for help because their needs are so antithetical or okay. opposite of uh, one another. I'm and telling you, I was coaching a yeah. couple and it this it just came to me. <laughs> they were having a discussion and the guy just said, you know what? I just, I need to think about this. I need a break. I need to think about it. And she was like, no, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about it right now. And it got to the point where he retreated in the bathroom in the shower and she followed him in there. And he's like, you have to leave me alone. You've got to give me time. And he's standing in the tub with the shower curtain pulled, you know, and she's in the bathroom like, we have to talk about this right now. And, oh, man, it's hard for people. But you know, Ryan, people. what's interesting about that is each one of them is in a state of panic. Yes. She's yes. in a state of yep. panic that mm-hmm. he is leaving me and yep. I have to create closure here. And he's in a state of panic. I'm getting overwhelmed. There's an avalanche coming and I can't breathe. That's exactly now, the words they were using. She was just yeah. like, he's just running away from me. All I want to do is right. talk. All I just want to tell right. him and connect and I want to love him. And he just keeps running away. And he was like, I was panicking. I got claustrophobic. I just need to think just for a minute. I don't know how I'm feeling right now. I can't express it like you can. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And there again, you go back to the childhood issues. You know, she's yes. probably not the first time she reacted to somebody running away from her. Right. Yeah. Right. She probably right. had a parent that did that. And, yep. you know, he didn't have enough emotional connection to be able to For have sure, the For sure, no. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely not. Was For raised sure. by different grandparents and, mm. you know, yes, 100%. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So is there help for those couples? You know, it seems people sometimes say opposites attract. And I think sometimes couples like that meet and you've got the person that's a little bit out of control, a little bit wild, and they're attracted to the person that's a little bit on the downturn, on the lower side, because it makes them feel settled and it gives them stability. Mm. And 
and the person that's kind of the hypo who's lower feels more excited by, you know, the vacillator who's a little bit more, you know, intense and loud. And yet over time, all of a sudden it's like, you're driving me crazy. I need peace. (laughs) You know, that's exactly right. The initial attractions are even easy to predict. I mean, vacillators pick avoiders because they're predictable and they're calm. Mm. And they often have feel they have a lot of internal agitation. So this person's so calming until they marry them and then figure out like, oh, wow, they can't connect. Right. Well, this Mm. points out another problem within the church, if you will. The vetting process for selecting a mate is is not well established. And people get married when they are in a euphoric state of being in love. And they also get married when they marry their idealized version of the person. Yeah. And then all of a sudden reality says, this isn't the person that I thought I was marrying. And I say, well, you know, who fooled who? Did this person (laughs) fool you or did you fool yourself because you had an idealized version that you fell in love with that sure. wasn't based in reality. Yeah. Who duped who? Or I call it the who duped de do, you know? Yeah. And I think it's important to understand it. Also, this is not gender uh, oriented. No. A, right. You can have an avoider female, as Kay once was, mm-hmm. and this is not about gender. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's about how you were raised, really. It's about your experiences yeah. as early children. Yeah. That's and that's why it's not a choice. And it's not a blaming thing where you're blaming your spouse for these things. It just is what it is. And you're trying to relate to them and to yourself more and more and more. Well, and the other styles that we should just mention are the pleaser. Mylon was a pleaser. You want to tell him what that style is about? Keyword was. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Pleasers. I grew up in a fearful environment where there was a lot of fear and a lot of phobias and anxieties and anger. Mm-hmm. And so when you grow up in an atmosphere like that, you are very hypervigilant watching other people, trying to see what their face looks like, their behavior looks like, and you're trying to predict moods, you're trying sure. to predict mm. the, what's going to happen. And so the hypervigilance is about protection and pre- trying to predict to yourself what is happening in the home. Mm. And so when you grow up like that, I grew up and I entered into uh, adolescence and adulthood with a high anxiety factor that I didn't know how to identify. I was unaware of it. Mm. And then I also found myself in a position of those are the people as adults who are your codependent, caretaking, rescuing kinds Mm -hmm. of people. Mm -hmm. And their goal is to make you happy or get you smiling because if you smile and you're okay, then they're okay. They're very Mm. other dependent for their view of themselves. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Rebel Parenting. What's up, Rebels? You ever watch a commercial and you think to yourself, what? It can't be that easy. I am so skeptical by nature. I got to tell you, our new sponsor, Policy Genius, is as easy as they say it is. PolicyGenius.com is their website. September is National Life Insurance Awareness Month. Most people aren't aware of that. I wasn't aware of it until I read it. And that's why over 40% of Americans don't have life insurance. Right now, prices are the lowest they've been in 20 years, and Policy Genius has made it easier than ever to get covered. Once you apply, Policy Genius actually handles all the paperwork and the red tape. I've been through the process, it was super, super easy. My goodness. 
I wish I had PolicyGenius.com when I quit my last job and was looking for insurance. It is so much easier now. And they don't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you with home, home insurance, auto insurance, disability insurance. So if you need insurance but you haven't gotten around to it, National Life Insurance Awareness Month is as good a time as any. And go to PolicyGenius.com, get quotes, apply in minutes. You can do all of it on your phone. And you're on your phone right now, right? Listen to the podcast. You're hearing this. Stop it for a second. Go to PolicyGenius.com. Click on that link. Get your insurance. All right? God bless. Welcome back to Rebel Parenting. Did you miss us? Can I ask you a question about that? I was watching a video and it was talking about how a lot of parents raise their children to feel as if the kids are responsible for their parents' feelings. Yeah. And you grow up that way. You grow up thinking, you know, if you're unhappy, it's my responsibility and I have to change to make you happy. Yeah. So pleasers, definitely. They're the good kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, yes, they will adapt their behavior or Mylon used to clean when he was anxious and I didn't know for 15 years that he did that because he cleaned when he was a little boy and his, you know, his parents had fought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I would stay wow. inside and not go out and play. I would stay in and do things around the house to try to figure out what was going on as mm -hmm. well as to try to uh, appease or please to make the whole problem go away. Yeah. Right. Right. These are sort of lose their childhood. They end up caretaking the parents, whether that's direct or indirect. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the ways that people that grew up, you know, either vacillator or an avoider or a please or things like that, what are some of the ways that we can move beyond that so we can get, you know, you said you used to be a pleaser. What were some of the steps you took to kind of get your identity back and your life back in a way to where other people can have feelings and experiences of you that are different, you might disagree with, and that's their responsibility, not yours? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great question. What, how would you say we began to grow? Well, interestingly, my growth journey was very different from Mylan's. I mean, we often think of the sanctification process as the same for everyone. Mm. But when you understand these broken attachment styles, it's really very different. My goal was to learn as an avoider to start to know what I felt. I needed a feelings word list or a mm. weak, uh, soul words list to do that. Mm. I really had no vocabulary for my internal experience. So I had to learn to begin to identify and speak about what was inside me, which was very odd and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I had to learn to ask for help because avoiders don't do that. They're very isolated and I can do it myself and they've been doing it themselves for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, for Mylon, it was just the opposite. He had to learn that it was okay to be alone and that if I was unhappy, he didn't have to be unhappy and mm -hmm. his mood didn't have to ride on my mood. So his was more a journey of learning to separate. So, you know, the thing about learning these love styles is you have a growth journey that's directed towards your injury. And the workbook has a different chapter. The How We Love Workbook is a separate book. And it has a whole chapter for the avoider, the pleaser, the vacillator. And then we didn't talk yet about the controller or victim. Mm -hmm. But those are people that just come from a very difficult childhood. There's always trauma. And, you know, <clears throat> these kids are raised. Controllers end up controlling as adults because 
their childhood was so painful that they don't ever want to feel any vulnerable feelings again. <clears throat> and they really don't even know why they need so much control. But it's all about staying away from anything vulnerable mm. uh, fear, anxiety, humiliation, shame um, are all a lot of internal experiences that are pushed down and covered with anger. And for the victim, it's more learning, you know, as a, they learn to tolerate the intolerable as a child. And so they sort of stay in that under role and continue that pattern as adults and they may use dissociation as a way of coping which is just not being fully present yeah mm -hmm. and then we also find that people from really difficult childhood say well I feel like I'm all of these yeah I could see that And many times we you know that's a very common response because they these are all attempts to cope and they mm -hmm. tried everything but the sad thing is, is in those homes, nothing works. And so there's just a lot more, mm. there's just a lot more work to do because sure. of the trauma. Sure. Right. Sure. So sure. you had mentioned, Kay, something about soul words. Can you explain yeah. what that is? Well, all the styles need to use soul words. And I'll tell you why. A soul words is a list of feeling words. And there's a free download on our website. If you go to howwelove.com and go to freebies, there's a list of soul words there. And it's basically just different feeling states that you can use to describe your inner world when you're in a conversation. You know, when you ask people how they are, they say fine, bad, good, yeah, which doesn't really tell you anything. No. Right. And so avoiders don't even have a vocabulary for feelings. So I had that for really two years. I had to look at it. But now I can tell you what I feel. Yeah. Pleasers know what you feel, but they have no idea what they feel. <laughs> You know, vacillators know what they feel, yeah. but they don't know what you feel. Yeah. And well, they think they know what they, they feel. They think they know what you sure. feel. And most of their, you know, they tend to get angry, which covers the more vulnerable feelings. Mm. The, the vacillators need to learn the underlying vulnerable feelings that are often not expressed. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. of course, for the controller and victim, there's they're just surviving. There's no emotional vocabulary or Poor ability them. to really to identify. So this is a very important growth step for any of the styles mm. to start to understand what they feel in different situations. And this is a great parenting tip, Yeah, you know, to help your kids understand and name their feelings and all, you know, feelings have to be managed. That's part of growing up. Mm -hmm. But God gave us the feeling of anger. He gave us the feeling of jealousy. He gave us the feeling of sadness and grief. Yeah, mm -hmm. And, you know, every three-year-old has them all. Yeah. Right. And it right. Right. Depends what the parent does with those feelings that will determine what a child learns to do with their emotional responses. Mm. Mm. Man, that's so interesting. I think there's two sides of that coin too. When Lucy, my daughter was little, I did what lots of parents do when she would cry. Be, it's okay. Don't cry. It's okay. You don't have to cry. It's all right. Mm -hmm. And one day Laura goes, why do you keep saying that? You cry all the time. No one tells you to stop crying. Mm -hmm. And I was Good like, point. that's right. Yeah. It was a great yeah. point. And I learned with her when she wants to cry, just cry. That's fine. Right. It just who right. cares? It's not a big deal. It's just an emotion I was uncomfortable with for a time. And our relationship has grown greatly because mm -hmm. I'm not trying to squash that down. And I think as a parent, when you are healthy, there is a time to explain to children that these feelings are unfounded. You know, when you're furious that I won't give you more sugar, <laughs> more sugar right before bed. Yeah, I understand that. And this is not a time to be angry for this. This, you know, there's teaching kids healthy emotions and healthy boundaries with their emotions. Mm. 
Right. Well, I think the boundary that God gives us for anger is be angry, but don't sin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In other words, mm-hmm. you can be angry that you don't get the sugar, but you don't get to name call. You don't get to, you know, if you're seven, you don't get to scream and yell. You don't get to throw a tantrum in the middle of the floor, mm-hmm. but you can be angry. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's allowing the emotion, but as a, you know, some kids can learn to contain that emotion and still have it earlier than others. Depends on the temperament. Definitely. And that's the role of a home is to teach kids how to manage their emotions mm-hmm. and things loss, no candy or sugar loss makes all of us angry. Yeah. If I lose my wallet, I get angry. If I lose the keys to my car and if we have deep loss, we get, we grieve, we are sad. Mm-hmm. And the question is, what do you do with it? And is it destructive to yourself or is it destructive to other people? But God is the one from Genesis to Revelation who has every emotion in the book. Mm -hmm. And so the church or we as a church body, we don't manage emotions well. We don't teach on the subject. Emotional intelligence is not a value. And so that's one of the highest things we had to learn. And to answer your question from a little while ago, the pain and frustration of our core pattern repeating itself took us to a place where we said, we want something different. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I had to decide that being a pleaser was sabotaging me in many aspects of my life. Yeah. And I had to decide, I don't want what my home imprinted upon me. Yes. I choose to say no to the parts I don't want to carry forward. Mm-hmm. Now, the apostle I'm so Paul's- glad you said that. When we speak, I struggled with anger from the time I was little up until, I mean, I still struggle with it, but not nearly what I used to because I went and got help for it. And when I talk about this at parenting or marriage seminars, oftentimes I get the question of, well, what was the thing that made you change? What was, and they're looking for this epiphany. They're looking for, you know, a moment in which I went, oh, I'm so angry. I will change and not be angry any longer. And it wasn't that. It was... I'm so sick of making my family afraid. I'm so sick of their misery because I can't control my emotions and I can't fix myself. And I went to my therapist and said, I'm angry all the time. I wake up angry. I go to bed angry. I'm, I'm, not, I'm never not angry. I need help for this. It took a long time. It took a long yeah. time and a lot of going back and dealing with things from my past to help me overcome that but there's not a, an epiphany there's not a a lightning bolt and then all of a sudden I, I'm yeah. not angry anymore it's right. something I still struggle with a little bit but it's that I'm so tired of being the wrong person for my family I, I love your vulnerability right there and I have a question <laughs> I'm wondering if you have cried more since you've been less angry yes I'll answer that question. Of course. Okay, so <laughs> totally. We see this Sorry. all the time, especially for the vacillator and the controller. Their yeah. grief is locked down. Yep. Mm. They do yeah. not cry. And yeah. when you can't cry, you have to let off steam somehow. Crying mm-hmm. is a very releasing emotion. It releases tension in your body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It releases endorphins. It calms your whole nervous system down. God gave us tears for a reason. Mm. So one of the things we really try and help controllers and vacillators do is be more aware of the sadness under their anger or the hurt Mm. and to learn to express 
and to reawaken. And sometimes this is a prayer request. Lord, help me grieve again. I've lost my ability to grieve. Yep. Mm. Yep. But also, what are we grieving? Are we, we grieving just the fact that I don't like the miserable state I am in right now and the miserable state I'm putting my family in? Or do we grieve the environment that created that in me? Yeah. Yeah, I think do that's we, what you were talking we, about, Ryan. Do we grieve sure. the loss? Do we grieve I did not have the best childhood or there were things about it that were adverse to me? Mm-hmm. And instead of getting angry at Laura and the kids, I turned my attention to the history mm-hmm. and attachment work. We do a lot of work in examining our biographical sketch of ourself. Yeah. And we create a historical timeline of who and what we are and realize the what was I in my formative years? What was I in what we call the preformative years, which is before I had language, mm. before I had the ability to speak or remember in explicit memories, what were the implicit memories that were lodged into me that I had no say in what yeah, happened? Right, yeah. right, yeah. right, right. And that's so, the work we do, and that's mm. when we go through a process. And then Kay and I were scared to death, but we began to share our stories with each other. Yeah. yeah, We begin to talk truthfully about what was in our soul. Mm. We began to listen to each other, and I was frightened to hear what was inside yeah. Kate. It wasn't easy. I was sure. frightened to hear what was inside me. Sure. Yeah, sure. Exactly. So are there, like, healthy love styles? I feel like we've really covered, like, all the distinctions that... What are we know, moving toward? Of, yeah. Yeah. Like The ha- secure attachment. Secure attachment. We'll explain that to you. Yeah, okay? please. Okay. Once you give three or four. So Jesus was securely attached. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in Matthew 26, Jesus was distressed. It was the night before he was going to die. And he takes his disciples and he takes Peter, James, and John. And he brings them closer. Mm-hmm. And then he was distressed and he was troubled. He hadn't said anything yet. But then he says, my soul's distressed to the point of death. Come watch and pray with me. Yeah. So he proactively shared the deep stress in his soul. And he then shared it horizontally with Peter, James, and John. And then he shared it vertically with the Heavenly Father. So he had self-awareness. He had horizontal support of close friends. And he had vertical support. So what do we learn from that biblical illustration of secure connection? Kay, what are some thoughts you have? Well, you know, being able to self-disclose is part of being a secure connector. Being aware of what's inside you and being able to tell others like Jesus did in the garden. Secondly, it's, you know, whether those people fail you or not, ultimately the disciples fell asleep, but he still asked for help. Yeah. He said, be with me. And many times we don't ask people to be with us when we're not okay. We're, we're not even okay if we're not okay. We just want yeah. to get over it. Yeah. yeah. So I think the ability to give and receive comfort is a sign of a secure connector. You can ask for it. You can recognize the need in other people. And you can reach out and be compassionate and comforting. Mm. And, of course, if you got a lot of comfort as a kid that was compassionate and uh, paid attention to your emotions and ask good questions so that you could articulate your inner self, then you're going to be able to do that as an adult. But mm. many people we talk to don't have memories of comfort. Right. So yeah. being right. able to comfort is a big one hmm. and ask for help. 
And if you don't have memories of comfort, you're most likely to go to non-relational ways to find relief. Oh, and see, I was thinking that so much. Like I was that. thinking and this is where addictions come from. Of course, oh. my thought was, I'll bet you help a ton of people that struggle with addiction without even focusing on addiction because they're self-soothers. Yeah. They're turning to sugar or alcohol or weed or prescriptions Porn. or right. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we all need relief. It's a very stressful yep. world we yep. live in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But were you trained as a kid to go to people? Are you using things? Yep. to provide relief and For we sure. didn't know how to do that at all at yeah. the 15 mark of our marriage we don't have memories of comfort mm-hmm. so that's a whole area we had to grow and develop in is being able to recognize and we even learned to do holding times where mm-hmm. we have a picture of that in our book where we would hit a painful story in our childhood and he would hold me like you would hold a baby and yeah. i would just cry and for an avoider, that's a huge step of growth. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. To allow someone to be vulnerable and let them see inside me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's one huge, the ability to separate and say no is another sign of a secure connector. They're not always in the mode of, well, I, I have to please everybody else. I have to do what everybody else wants. They can mm-hmm. have, they have a healthy no voice. Yeah, they healthy can tell no everybody voice. where they want to go to lunch. Sure. I like that. Yes. healthy no voice. And I think they're choosing the appropriate people to talk to. They know who they can count on for right. real care versus who's going to bite them if they reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. So learning who's safe and who's not safe would be a sign of a, a secure connector. We actually have, I think this is a free download too under the freebies tab. It's a list of the traits of the secure connector. Oh. oh, fantastic. Great. And so, you know, you might want to... Those are goals. Good that, goals. Yeah, so that people can see exactly. I think there's 27. And some of them you already know how to do. But some of them you'll go, oh, yeah, I don't really... I can't do that very well. And then that would become a growth goal. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. And that's something you can also bring to a therapist or a counselor or a coach and say, hey, I know I'm lacking in these areas. Can we figure out ways for me to gain these skills and these tools so I can be a better person? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's just like going to a coach. Yeah. You know, I've, we've got a coach that we go to regularly, and I was struggling with flexibility in a certain area, so I couldn't do a certain lift. And I was like, I can't do this lift. And he's like, well, it's because your ankles are inflexible. And I'm like, I didn't know ankles could be inflexible. <laughs> and he's like, you've got, you know, and you can be vulnerable around those right people. We've got therapists and counselors we can go to. We can go to those coaches, those, you know, people in our lives to help us in those areas. Right. That's exactly right. So in defense of the disciples falling asleep, they (laughs) fell asleep, it says in Luke, it says because they were grieving. And Jesus was in such grief that evening, and they were absorbing his experience Mm. to the point that it exhausted them. Yeah. And it says in Hebrews, there was great loud wailing and tears. And in the Gospels, it said blood commingled with his sweat. So it was a messy thing to watch. And it wore them out. Yeah, Jesus knew how to grieve. Yes. Right. The grieving part. Um, That would be exhausting, especially if you're a good friend. You see someone going through that much pain and suffering. And you do take that on empathetically. It would be very, very exhausting. I think sometimes we give this, the disciples such a hard time. Like, I can't believe it. You know, he was in such grief and all you did is fall asleep. And it's like, yeah, they were trying to empathize with him and it was exhausting. Mm. Yeah. We don't ever think of that aspect, but that yeah. is what the Bible says. 
Definitely. Well, Mylon and Kay, thank you so much for being on the broadcast today. This is so enlightening. Mm -hmm. I know you've just had to have so many stories and letters and emails of people that you've transformed. Mm -hmm. You know, especially relationships that are like, we are missing each other all the time. I mean, we are just missing each other. And all of a sudden, they've got this connected intimacy Mm -hmm. that they never had before. Yeah, but they had to work for it. We give them the roadmap. Yes. But just like you said, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable to grow because mm-hmm. you're going to be doing things that aren't in your realm of comfort. So I'm proud of you two for doing that. Well, thank well, you. And I really do want to mention that too. That's something Laura and I have been trying to say more and more on the broadcast is it does take a lot of work. We can't do the work for you. Mm-hmm. You've got to want this bad enough to dig in and do the hard work and it's worth it. Yeah. It's totally worth it. Oh, it's so worth it. Freedom yeah. on the other end. So the hard work in our book is the comfort circle. It's the last third of the book mm. and it tells you how to have those conversations and how to learn to listen to one another. And that is really the thing that helps us escape these core patterns. Another, yeah, another important step. Awesome, mm, awesome. Thank you Thank guys you. so much. We just appreciate it. You're so welcome. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Special thanks to Milan and Kathy for coming on today. What a great couple. Man, what a lot of wisdom we got from them today. Woo-wee. So much fun. Thank you for sharing this with your friends and family. Thanks for supporting this ministry. And thank you to The Voice of the Martyrs, persecution.com, The Voice of the Martyrs, helping those being persecuted for our gospel for more than 50 years. God bless, Rebels. We'll see you soon. Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House. And when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. That's R-E-B-E-L, and the number is 444-999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.